This is Late Night Cage Fight. This is episode two of our Cageless series. We're watching the films of Ari Aster. Last time we watched Hereditary. And now we will be talking about Ari Aster's second feature film, Midsommar. This is a Nicolas Cage podcast. And this particular series is called Cageless because it's without Nicolas Cage. Films not featuring Nicolas Cage. I know, it just blows your mind. Although, I do see some parallels here with Midsommar and uh, another fantastic cult ritual murder film, uh, Wicker Man. I'm sure we'll talk about that in this discussion. Not the bees! Not the bees. God, I love that line. I'm here with cage fighter Matt and cage fighter Sean. Uh, we're, technically, we're not cage fighters in, in this uh, cageless series. We're just some guys talking about movies that we really love and appreciate. And that being said, you know, do be aware that this is really for fans of, of movies who have seen the movies. So there will be spoilers. I'll do my best to give you uh, a heads up when spoilers are going to be revealed. But just, just be aware. Um, we really want to celebrate movies that we've all seen and want to react to. Yeah. So Matt, Sean, thanks for joining me this evening. How are you? Doing, Doing good, Bubby. Well. Excellent. Excellent. You know, for the longest time, I was calling this Midsummer, but then I, I recently watched the special features with Ari Aster talking, and he his pronunciation was Midsummer. So I, I want to be accurate here. Um, you know, it sounds kind of silly after saying Midsummer for so long. Makes sense with that A at the end, right? Super, super fun. Like I said, cult ritual hit um, would be a great travel channel documentary to show. Um, my wife, actually, she watched maybe the first 45 minutes before things got really weird in the movie. And she said, you know, I just don't believe that this kind of community could exist in Sweden. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure communities like this exist in West Virginia. So <laughs> I can believe it. <laughs> yeah. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't. Oh, we got it. There's so much in this movie to talk about the drug use, the, mm. the food. White people peeing on trees. Oh, man. <laughs> We're already in spoiler territory, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, we man. Yeah, so, Sean, you've yeah. seen this movie more than any of us. Uh, how would you describe Midsommar to someone who hasn't seen it before? This movie is very counter to a lot of uh, horror movies. A lot of horror movies are done in the dark. They try to hide things. This is a horror movie that tries to be scary in broad daylight. Yes. There's... There's barely any nighttime in this movie at all. It does have a lot of the, the typical tropes of a horror movie. Um, you know, it's, it's about a bunch of college students. There's, you know, sex and drug use and, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it's really, it just goes into how different cultures, because we are not familiar with them, Right, can be strange and unusual, and mm. yeah. it, it almost is like a scary version of a fish out of water story. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, or or I'd also say a fairy tale, as it descends into the surreal as the movie yeah, progresses. Yeah, it, it definitely gets very surreal. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skoll! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right, the sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> oh 
How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. What do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate, I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. When you mention the, the typical drugs and sex in this movie, it, it's really atypical though. Yes, they're here, but the way that drugs play a part in the story and are presented, I think is pretty unique for a film. And also, of course, the sex is, <laughs> is unique because it's, it's, in, it's in context of, of the Harga, the uh, religious cult yeah. that is the mm-hmm. backdrop setting of the movie. Yeah, Matt, tell me about your first experience with the movie, if you would. Please. Well, I'd, I'd love to, and I'm going to right now. So I saw this one in theaters. I was pretty pumped about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was super stoked. I pumped went all up. by myself, <laughs> and I sat like um, pretty close to the middle, like up towards the front. And I was just like, Ready to have a good time. Yeah. Is that and, normally? Uh, is that normally where you sit in the theater, or was this a special? Yeah. Thing? If I go by myself, that's where I like to be because you get a you, you know mm-hmm. you get a good view of the screen, but you also mm-hmm. uh, get a good sense of everybody around you. You get to experience the movie with people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway. I did that same so, thing for Paranormal Activity and, and regretted that, by the way. Oh, but geez, yeah. Please, yeah, can, please continue. Fuck. But anyway, so, um, you know, when the movie starts, this is, you know, kind of like Sean said, I guess it kind of has that stereotypical scary movie kind of thing going on um, because she's, like, looking at her email and her sister's all... Um, She's on a, a bipolar, she's um, like kind of a manic uh, freakout. You know, she's having an episode. Right. Um, and her sister won't respond. Um, mm-hmm. She's calling her and all this. She calls her boyfriend. Her boyfriend's kind of like, you can tell he's kind of fed up with something here or there. He's just like, doesn't care or whatever. And then we go to... Uh, we get to see the dude's perspective and he's he's like out with his friends and they're a bunch of, well, one of them's kind of a dick. And they're mm-hmm. like, you should leave her and stuff. So even mm-hmm. more stereotypical, you know? It's yeah. kind of like, we're, we're seeing that setup, But um, it does quickly deteriorate. I kind of love that about this movie. And, yeah. and Ari Aster also, you know? You mean how quickly? We, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we kind of talked about that um, in the in the last podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Um, Hereditary. Yes. Oh. Uh, it quickly deteriorates from there. Um, and I kind of love how right where it deteriorates is when Danny comes to the apartment and she's sitting there. She, uh, her boyfriend goes to do some power graphs in the bedroom with his guy. Okay. And, uh, his name yeah. is uh, Christian. Christian, mm-hmm. yeah. But I'm talking about Pele. Yeah. He's sitting on the couch and Danny's sitting in the chair. And uh, he's like, they're kind of just talking about what's going to go on. And he's like, well, you know, it's probably going to seem kind of silly to you. It's it's like theater Mm -hmm. and like from, from the moment that he says that Mm -hmm. that's the rest of the movie becomes 
silly in like theater. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. yeah it, begins, it, it begins to act more like a play than a movie from that point on. And it's um, the opening scene is part of the first and second act. It's just, it's like a fresco uh-huh. of the ritual. Oh yeah. yeah, you mean that that yeah fresco painting or that yeah. illustration? Yeah, I yeah. noticed that too. The second time watching the movie, that if you really look at it, it's the whole story of the movie. Exactly, and um, and in at the beginning of each act, they show you the what's going to happen. You know, when um, when they're all leaving dinner, and the two mm-hmm. British tourists are like, "What's that over there?" And uh-huh. uh, they walk over to this tapestry, and uh-huh. it's it's the ritual, the all the love spells. When she's ma- she's making the pie, right? Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah. yeah, but there is, it's it's an important thing to say is there's lots of interesting foreshadowing, and it's all it's all very blatant. It's all surface, and it's it's you kind know. of funny that we as the audience pick up on these things because obviously the the script and the camera work forces us to and many times um, but the characters don't the characters are so into themselves that uh, they they don't think about these elements that are foreshadowing some of the more horrific events to come with the exception of Danny well yeah, yeah. you're right she's she is the one in the group who she's the one that very quickly is is like yeah um they're throwing people off of cliffs and bashing their brains in uh i think it's time to leave don't be a buzzkill danny (laughs) here do these mushrooms and uh it brings up this just this interesting point about where do you draw the line looking at other cultures that are different, that have different customs than us. Obviously, these people in the movie are PhD students of anthropology, and they have an academic interest. But just for you guys, like, where would you draw the line between what is acceptable and what is not acceptable? Because for me, I actually, this is gonna be, this is gonna be controversial, but I actually think I would be okay with that ritual. With with the death ritual, what they do is the when the uh, when the members of the Harga community reach a certain age, um, they have to jump off this cliff and kill themselves. And uh, I mean, they're not hurting anybody else. I would probably be disgusted, just as disgusted as everyone else. If I were there, I'd probably want to leave too, because it would make me question what else these people do to each other and other and people outside of the community. But just as somebody outside of the culture, I just might be like, well, it's like the Eskimos, right? They would send their elderly out to die on blocks of ice, if, if that's actually true and not a stereotype. Um, but there are cultures that have that kind of thing. No, I'm kind of with you. I, I think seeing that, I mean, it, like you said, I would, I would be kind of like, uh, <laughs> but I don't think I would instantly be like, yeah, we gotta leave. I, th- I uh-huh. think it would more so be like when they're, when people start going missing. Yeah, that's one we're like. Uh, oh yeah, gotta get out of here. Of course, in this movie, that's when it's too late when they realize people are yeah. missing. Yeah, so well, that's the thing. I mean, like a lot of these rituals are are based on ancient Nordic rituals. Okay, there's a lot of symbology in here um, with yeah. the geometry, a lot of the shapes. Yeah, um, you know. Yeah, so like, and uh, you know, people used to do these kinds of things. Okay. Yeah, I assumed as much. I'm not as familiar with the Norse traditions and stuff, but there are a few things that stick out to me. Some of the gestures they do with the um, the fingers or the hands by the temples. I've seen that gesture with the Golden Dawn. They have something similar to that where they believe they're transferring energy. Uh, that's Crowley. Yep, yep. And uh, like you said, the geometry, obviously the the triangle shapes and all the different shapes, I'm sure, have some meaning. 
This, I think, is uh, based on <clears throat> a call of Freya, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Would, would have been like Interesting. A, a Viking goddess. Yeah. With the uh, yeah. the elder Futhark runes, right, mm-hmm. that yeah. they use. I wouldn't put it past Odin to have a golden dong. <laughs> yeah. No. Man, Not at all, I mean, dude. we could do a whole podcast on the the customs of the Harga and what we think that they were based on because there's just so much there and it's obvious that they put a lot of thought into the rituals, their their traditions and making it believable. But there there were some questions I had about just the the decisions in keeping their traditions. Because it seems like the people in this community, number one, they're a lot of them are almost fully bilingual. They speak Swedish and English, and they mm-hmm. they seem like regular people in a way, but they just happen to live in this commune, at least at first. Um, which just tells me that they're intelligent, but their their society is based around this doctrine basically of incest their oracle is created through inbreeding spoiler big spoiler sorry everyone but it just made me question they know that they know that this is kind of fucked up right because mm-hmm. they're allowing the uh, mentally handicapped oracle to just doodle in books and stuff and, right am I wrong yeah but also um, before they reveal that's who the oracle is, what's his name? Josh asks um, asks somebody, "Is there a problem with inbreeding?" And uh-huh. they're like, "Well, no, because we have a council and they decide who breeds." And okay, that's why we bring in outsiders, right? So that's a plant they they make the oracle. It's not uh-huh. like it just happens. Yeah, so they just they truly believe that that oracle it. it is even though they're deliberately breeding them, it's still divine, right? Yeah, some sick way. Yeah, it's, I think it's time to it's go home, definitely. guys. After hearing that, I think it's time to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. What else can we talk about? Just some really cool sequences, much like Hereditary, that stay with you. I felt in this one. Well, I guess I'll kind of talk about Sean, your comment on how much of this movie is in really bright daylight. So there's this challenge there in, uh, I think, creating these disturbing shots and sequences when you're seeing everything. You know, there's virtually no shadows at times. Um, But the darkness is used to pretty strong effect. For example... Danny's nightmare sequence where she wakes up in the middle of the night and I should middle of the night the night in this place uh Halsingland is the name of the village actually it only lasts for a few hours I believe but um yeah so it is dark and she hears a car starting and she goes out and it's her friends abandoning her and I think there's something else kind of disturbing in that sequence that I don't remember, but I do remember the smoke coming out of her mouth as she tries to scream. So that scene stuck with me. That was kind of creepy for me. Yeah. And it was um, Simon was uh, looking out the back of the hatchback with his mouth open like he was screaming. Oh, really? The guy who went missing the next day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those yeah, kind of sequences terrifying. very tastefully get under my skin. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if uh, if the Harga were always planning to do what they did, but uh, mm-hmm. Simon was kind of the one that seemed to kind of instigate a lot of those things. So Simon and Connie, they're the English couple that they meet there oh, in the comic. Yeah, 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 that's right. And then there's Christian, Mark, and Josh. Um, Josh was okay. Yeah, this right? is what, Mark. Mark is the the tree pisser. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Josh is the guy who went there. He like 
got everybody to go on yeah. the trip. He's like, I'm going here to study this. Mm. And dude, you should leave your girlfriend and come with me. But yeah. then uh, Danny came to some bar one night and somebody let it slip. And she's like, what the fuck? And then, yeah. Josh, Josh is also uh, Chidi Anagonye from The Good Place. Okay. Haven't seen it. Is it good? Is it, yeah. a, is it a good place? It, 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 is, it is a good place. If you are a fan of mm. uh, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson, I would mm. highly recommend that show. Oh, yeah. I love Ted Danzig. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so another disturbing sequence. Matt hit on it earlier. Is uh, It's actually at the beginning we find out that Danny's bipolar sister has done something pretty terrible, we assume, to her parents and herself. It's kind of a strange... It's weird how it all seems to have played out, right? Because she's basically attached this hose to the car or the cars in the garage of her parents' home and killed... Her parents, uh, right by the monoxide yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. But then she's yeah. got she's got the hose attached to a mask on her face. No, she duct taped it to her jaw. Yeah, I mean, is that is that really possible? Oh yeah, dude. Did yeah. You? So it was like super intricate setup. Also, the last message she sent to her sister was, um, "Not I, it's probably not verbatim, but it was something like." It's I can't anymore. Uh-huh. It's so dark now. Mom and dad are coming with me too. And then we see this scene where it's just uh, this music, this fucking insane like droney, uh-huh. spooky music. And then the brake lights or hazard lights flashing. Mm-hmm. And then you see two hoses yeah. coming off the exhaust pipes of these cars. And yeah. then. Um, the camera follows the hoses through the house. Yeah. And there's the cops and shit. And then yeah, I just remember the that just hose, being like one shot. <clears throat> yeah. One hose is like under the parents' door and she duct taped okay. all the seals and shit and then put the other one in her mouth. Also, I think what Sean was getting at earlier was uh, kind of similar to Hereditary as there are... I think clues or hints in the movie that may suggest that there's manipulation happening before this trip, you know? Um, oh yeah, for sure. Like look in the bedroom I mean, and you see yeah. there's a picture of Danny. I saw the second time and I noticed it. Um, there's a picture of Danny with a flower bouquet over the photo. Yeah. Which could, it could just be foreshadowing or it could be part of the story. That's, I guess just the the debate or dialogue you can have. Well, and also, um, Pele, the picture he draws of her for her birthday. Yeah, you just you feel so bad for Danny through much of this film because it seems that the people she really wants to care about her don't and never can, never will. Then the the people that she is most repulsed by um, show affection. To her, I felt like her and Josh were the only somewhat likable people in this movie. I mean, Christian, he uh, just from the beginning of the film, he's just so disrespectful of yeah, just Danny's feelings. And it's kind of and he go ahead. He really only stays with her just because her sister and parents die, right? But before that, I mean, before that, his motivation was largely sexual, right? Yeah, it seemed like it. You you have that uh, that scene with them. It's the first scene of the group of guys at the restaurant, and there's this really sexual portrait behind them. You can just kind of feel the sex in this scene. Uh, they have the waitress come serve them, and she's you know they're checking her out, and. I, th- I think that was intentional because later, you know, another big spoiler, but uh, the, the sex in the movie occurs when Christian is pretty much forced, <laughs> I would say forced, to mate 
with one of the young Harga in a very interesting ritual. Uh, so what I'm saying is he finally kind of gets what he wanted elsewhere in a uncomfortable, disturbing, perverted kind of way. I mean, if you guys have never had sex in a group of, you know, just with a bunch of old women watching you, I mean, try it. Cause yeah. Nothing no, like I'm it. Not, I'm not knocking it, man. I'm not. I would disagree a little bit. I don't think that he was forced at all. I think it's important he chose to go. That's Yeah, that's why I said it. I wanted somebody to push back on that. I'm not exactly certain. Yeah. You know, so I, um, I think I think that he, he chose to put himself in that situation, mm-hmm. but once he finally was there, he was kind of like, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know if I want to do this. Right. This is really weird. Well, this can lead into our discussion of drugs because my one of my biggest problems with the way these characters behave uh, is with the drugs. And, I mean, they, they take the mushrooms right after they get to Sweden, before they get to the village with, you know, all these cool people that they're meeting. I mean, it's believable to me, but I would just, I find that such a, such a tremendous risk to um, take a psychedelic drug, uh, you know, around people that you don't know. Yeah, and and then that part where Christian, uh, he's trying to, he wants access to the Harga to study for his PhD, and he's kind of battling this out with Josh at the same time. And um, so he's willing to do some questionable things to get access to that uh, information. Um, He's basically told by one of the elders that he's been chosen to breed and that if he does this, he's going to be the only person outside of the community to know about this ritual, uh, which is what he wants. But, of course, he has to go through with having sex with this young girl. And this is pretty close to the end of the movie, guys, so a lot has happened. But in, in his uh, kind of indecision, he's given this tea that is strongly suggested that there's a drug in it. And he just knocks it back. I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? You're trying to make a very, very important decision right now. And you're going to do that? Especially when, like, multiple friends have gone missing by this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's, you know, you, you guys talked about the, or maybe it was me, how the movie just descends into this surrealism. And that that's part of it. You know, it's the characters are now in the surreal world where they make irrational decisions instead of rational ones like they would in our world. Because I'm thinking of, Matt, you said that there's that really important switch, uh, which I hadn't thought about before, at the beginning with Pele, right? And, mm-hmm. and just everything changes after that. And then there's a real obvious transition too when they're on their way to the Halsingland. Uh, and the camera actually rolls and they're driving upside down, right? Because the yeah. camera's upside down. So that's a big shift right there. And I think the rules of the, the, the script of the world change at that point. I'm willing to, uh, I guess, let my reason go, you know, because these people are out of their element and you don't really know how you'd react or what you'd do. But yeah, what did you guys think about the the drug use in it? I actually thought that the uh, visuals were were pretty awesome. I really liked the effect that they would use whenever they were tripping. There was almost like this, I don't even know how to describe it, this kind of like this filter on the on the footage that it would almost like look like Wiggly, yeah, or a, if that or makes a, sense, or a pulsating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lo- and they did that a lot with uh, later on with uh, Danny mm. when she was wearing the the flower crown mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. all surrounded by flowers and everything yeah. to kind of like meld the her flesh with like the plants. Uh huh. Yeah, and it it really looks trippy. So is this a movie about a woman 
an abused woman being liberated? Or is this a movie about an abused woman giving in to her psychosis and letting it take over? What do you think? Or neither? Or both. Or both. <laughs> I'll tell you, the second time I watched the movie, now that I knew what was coming, I thought that it was funnier in parts and intentionally so. Some of the disturbing shit I think is supposed to be kind of funny or, or lighthearted. Because if you think about it, if you were a member of the Harga, let's say you're from that community, they, they do this crazy midsummer, you know, murder celebration, and you know what they got to do for this 90 year celebration. And this, it's more like a love story. To them, it's a happy thing. And death, because death and torture and abuse and all that stuff isn't a negative, obviously. What they did with a lot of the corpses of the various characters, it kind of reminds me of one of the Dexter novels. Okay. Which they, they had uh, a pair of homosexual serial killers who would just make artwork out of uh, dead bodies. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, you know when that if that happens in real life, you're you're dealing with somebody uh pretty disturbed. Yikes. Yeah, should we talk about some of that? I don't know. I guess uh there was a dude. I don't have the whole story in front of me or all of the details, so some of this could be incorrect. The numbers may be a little off. Um, but this guy who, um, and we're talking Japan here. This stuff happens in Japan sometimes, people. So I'll probably get attacked for this. But a few years ago, this guy got arrested not far from where I'm living now in Kanagawa Prefecture. I won't say where exactly. You can Google it. But what this guy did was he went on the internet he, he found people through Twitter and what other, what other social networks and message boards. He found people who wanted to die and he empathized with them and said, hey, I, I'll, help you. I'll help you die. I'll help you escape your pain. And uh, he would lure them to his apartment and then he would, he would uh, sexually assault them and murder them brutally. Chop up their body parts and keep them in... Uh, refrigerated containers underneath the floor of his apartment. Um, we're talking nine people from the ages of 15 to, I want to say, 30s. Uh, wow. Yeah. Around... A little bit of telltale heart in there, huh? <laughs> I mean, dude, they found this guy and they then they found all the ice boxes and... God, I was just, I just happened upon this story and I'm just like, what, where do these people come from? How do you, how does your brain get to that point? It's just crazy. But, you know, thank you, Ari Aster, for making me think about this evil shit in real life. Appreciate it. <laughs> Life's great. Yeah, I mean. 2020, everyone. So, you know, I guess we could just say, well, what's, what's better then? Is, is, is that is that better or worse than a community that uh, every 90 years they just they got to lure outsiders there so they can um, diversify the gene pool and you know murder them for their ritual <laughs> the way that the way I interpreted the ending I thought that Danny almost was letting go of her past uh, we'll say community mm-hmm who was very, you know, di did not care about her at all. And she found a new home with uh, the Harga. While, while they may be brutal, they still accepted her mm. and respected her. Yeah. And, you know... Totally. Allowing them to basically complete the ritual with Christian uh, mm -hmm. was her letting go of her past life. Yeah. So, biggest spoiler of the movie, very end, we discover that they need a set number of people for this um, sacrifice to... Uh, who is it exactly? Is it is it a god? Gods? Just nature? I, I don't think you really say. 
Yeah, it's just, I guess it's just what they do, tradition. They, every 90 years, they have to burn down this barn. I just, the, the funny thing for me was, I've seen the original Wicker Man, and I've seen the Nick Cage Wicker Man. We can talk more about that, but, you know, I'm thinking, well, I wonder how this is going to differentiate itself from these other um, pagan cult movies where they burn some asshole at the end. And then as they, <laughs> they burn Christian at the end, I'm like, oh my God, Wicker Man 3. It wasn't quite that extreme, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, of course, of yeah. course, they're, they're going to burn somebody alive. It was pretty awesome, though. He was a bear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. And, and the scene right before that was even better because uh -huh. it's like, um, <clears throat> it's some dude, he, some guy, and he's like, so kids, you want to make sure uh, when you're cutting the guts out, you don't cut the guts. Yeah. You want to run your knife in along like this. Uh -huh. And then you see him grab the guts and dump them in a fucking bucket. Yeah. And then it zooms in on Christian paralyzed in the corner watching. Oh, God. And then they fucking sew him into the bear. Oh. How terrifying would that be to just have people doing stuff like that to you and you just can't I tell you move. what, whoever, you know what, Ari Aster and you folks, what made this film, good on you for all the drugs you did because you nailed it. I'm just saying. Yeah, you mean a bad Primo trip? drug use. Right, I mean, right down to um, the difference in a feel between acid and mushrooms uh -huh. um, or having like a really out there trip like on DMT or something. Yeah. You know, I see. Like, you know, I've had similar trips to that where I thought, you know, more or less somebody had sewed me into a bear and was about to set me on fire. You know, like that seems pretty scary. Oh man, yeah. it can be like that. I was gonna, but it's also it's also just so silly and funny. It is, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> nothing is scarier than the furry community. So, <laughs> I just I would compare it to sleep paralysis. If you've experienced that, you know, you wake up but you oh, can't yeah. move. Exactly, it's just the, it's exactly. Yeah, like it that. is. It's just yeah. the difference is uh, you're in a bear, a real dead bear, and they're burning you alive. So, just a little bit of a difference there but you get the Do idea you remember the, the the first time the bear appears in the movie yeah it's like where an, it's like they're a, like hey are we gonna like are we gonna recognize the bear and someone's <laughs> just like it's a bear yeah i love that i love that um that actually reminded me of uh of mandy when they have was oh, Jesus, the tiger yeah. Yeah. the dude has a tiger but the tiger never does anything it just escapes. It escapes. Yeah, I guess that's a and, and, metaphor. Well, they were gonna have a spinoff about the tiger, but you know that that didn't pan out. Oh, were they? Yeah. Nice. I just, uh, yeah, it's it's funny to me the things that that these people overlook for the sake of trust. Trusting Pele is a good guy. Um, for their selfish motivations of of uh, telling telling the Harga's story to the world and becoming famous and all that. I mean, that's kind of how I saw it, at least for Christian. He was just so desperate. Because Christian hadn't picked his thesis, right? And then yeah, Josh Josh chose his. They were like little, they were like schoolboys, man. You know, well, I want I want to do my thesis on the Harga too. So we can either work together or I guess we'll just each write our own thesis. Josh had decided long before. Right. That's what he went there for. Right. Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah, that was like, that was like his thing. It was like his hobby. Yeah, I'm just saying it was kind of shitty for Christian. Yeah, Christian was just... He's just generally lost and has no sense of responsibility. Yeah. You can tell by his uh, loose neck on his T-shirt. <laughs> Did you find it funny in a sick kind of way? His name is Christian, so at the end of the movie, the pagans yeah. burn Christian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty dope, huh? <laughs> it's pretty metal. Got it. It's a pretty metal I really movie. didn't think that 
anyone besides like Josh was believable as a doctoral candidate. Uh huh. Yeah, that's everyone else just just awful. That that was my <laughs> wife's observation too. In the first forty five minutes, she said, "These people are graduate students, doctoral level." I said, "Yeah, but it's they're anthropologists, you know, they're art." art majors you know how, how they are what they do she's like all right I, I didn't know that i thought this movie was really great for anybody that is into set design they did a really really good job uh just building the village and you know the placement of everything and all the decor and just how traditional swedish uh mythology is just used as imagery throughout the movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was one of the, uh, what I thought was one of the most fascinating things was just, because I mean, this wasn't really a culture that I was very familiar with. Same here. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit familiar with uh, like Norse mythology after playing like God of War, but Mm -hmm. I, I never really knew about, you know, things like this in Sweden. You mean like, communities where they murder people yeah 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 i heard they're they're really common it it really changes my opinion of swedish metal bands i used to respect them <laughs> now i know they're just trying to lure me in with their music you know the this is just what socialism leads to right oh yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> how about man all these dudes make some pretty terrible decisions Josh, who is the guy that you say that is the most respectable of the bunch, which probably isn't saying much, he's he he sneaks into the holy temple to take a, a picture with his phone of their holy text after being told that it's sacred and you cannot do that by the elder. After watching a ritual where the elderly are forced to kill themselves, I mean, dude, what what balls this guy has? What happens to him, he gets, he gets, uh, he gets bashed. Yeah, it was kind of an overreaction, right, to kill him like that. It wasn't very nice. I mean, they said that they never told him that he couldn't, like, use a scanner. Should have just, like, whipped out his, <laughs> his PC tower and, you know, his flatbed. And It would be funny if, uh, it would have been funny if you find out that he had snuck a drone in with his bags. <laughs> And he fires up a drone and flies it into the temple. <laughs> that would be so dumb. I love it. It's like they, they first get there and Pele just hands uh, Josh a, a small piece of paper. And he said, yeah. what, is this my mantra? No, it's the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> I, I want to finish our discussion of the story with just some questions I had. Because you guys might have answers. So I'm just not clear on a couple of things. One was, well, the one I have about Danny is now that she is the May Queen, does she then just become a member of the community until she lives out her lifespan and then has to end it on the rocks? Like, it seems like they all have to at that age. I would say so. All right. I think some of the ending was meant to be left up to interpretation. Okay. Oh man, I we didn't even talk about the the scene with the May Queen festival. That was oh yeah, was getting dizzy. <laughs> yeah, very well yeah, done. Yeah, they just start. Yeah, they just start doing this dance where they're dancing for just hours. Yeah, I watched uh, the behind the scenes. They showed a clip of them filming that, and they actually created this or built this rig that goes around the pole with a camera on it and would spin it, and the actors would have to follow the camera as they spun around and did the dance. So really, really interesting camera work to achieve that. Yeah, Ari Aster is always, he, he always comes up with some very unique shots. Like even even at the beginning of the movie, I, I thought that the shot of just Danny crying while Christian was holding her when she uh, finds out about her sister, uh-huh. I thought that was a really difficult shot to watch yeah that's one difference too one kind of i can't say parallel but you re- you notice 
in the first part of the movie, before they they go to Sweden, there's lots of uh, close-ups and still shots. Then, okay. when we go to Midsummer, well, I'm sorry, when we go to Holsinglad, you get a lot of the wide-angle shots. You see a lot more of those. It's a, such a shift in focus. You know, I, I noticed that the scene at the beginning was very similar to the scene in Hereditary when uh, they find out that um, what's-her-name dies at the beginning. Yeah, Charlie? Charlie. Oh, I, I don't think I explained it very clear, but uh, Mark pees on the ancestral tree where they, I believe, put the ashes of all their dead. Yeah. And there's this one guy who's really pissed off. <laughs> yeah, and they make light of it. It's funny. He's super pissed off at you, right? It's, what's that guy's deal? <laughs> These characters are so dumb sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this guy just told you he, you just peed on like all of yeah. their ancestors. Yeah. You wouldn't be like, oh, sorry, bro. It's just a tree, man. You got plenty of them. Just knock another one I down. I didn't know. What a typical American attitude. So these actors, what what I thought was super interesting, Florence Pugh, uh, Jack Rayner, Will Poulter, guy who played Mark, all these actors are actually non-American. I don't know if they all come from the same non-American countries, but they all have an accent. So it's just blow it blows my mind because I, I don't know. I just find it interesting when actors are that good with accents that they convince you that they are um, from your native country. I totally believe Mark. I totally believe that, you know, these were American actors. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, you got to get like British actors because uh, you can pay them in like a sandwich. Oh yeah. I mean, why do you th why do you think uh, Marvel Studios gets so many British actors? There we go. Yeah, and crumpets. Mm -hmm. uh, Will Poulter. He's an yeah, English yeah. English actor recognized for his performance as Lee Carter in Son of Rambo. He was also in Chronicles of Narnia: The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I bet he wasn't. But he wasn't an asshole in that one. I didn't know that Son of Rambo was a movie. <laughs> yeah. Florence Pugh is an English actress. Okay. Lady Macbeth, 2016, Outlaw King, Fighting with My Family. You've heard of it, never seen it. And I know she is up and coming in Black Widow. I saw that trailer. And oh. in Black Widow, she has a Russian accent, Eastern European. I know, I'm not that familiar with the character, so forgive me. Who does she, who's she supposed to play in Black Widow? Yel Yelena Belova. Oh, shit. She's gonna be an Avenger then. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely fighting yeah. in it. Yeah, she's, uh, it, it's um, rumored that she's going to take on the mantle of Black Widow after that movie. Okay. If, if, I, it, if it ever comes out. My theory is she's going to steal the show in that movie. I think she's going to be the one that really shines. Because she's just a hell of an actress, and she even stood out to me in the trailer. I was like, I recognize that actress that I can't deny because they have such presence for being a smaller person. In, uh, I've heard that she's very good in that I mean everything I've seen from that movie she does a very good job oh yeah yeah these you know these are not your typical A-list actors I believe these are um, you know tried and true stage English actors I'm assuming um, they really really know their craft so even uh, yeah I think even Josh William Jackson Harper oh yeah that's right that's right he's the one American yeah, I heard him talking and I was like, okay, yeah. that dude, that dude's from the U.S. Totally. It's funny though, because in The Good Place, which most people will know him from, he plays like somebody from, I think, like South Africa. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure he does a, a damn good job. He's really funny. Oh, is he? That, that's a good show. Um, I, it's, it's, by, 
It's by the people that did Parks and Rec. Oh, God, I got to check it out. I've just been off the radar with that, with watching yeah, stuff. It's, uh, it's all on Netflix. Nice. Yeah, it's all, it, it's basically just about uh, Kristen Bell's character, like, dies and gets sent to heaven, but she finds out that she was not supposed to be there. Okay, okay. And uh, William Jackson Harper plays this, like, really studious, like, guy that is supposed to be her soulmate. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good show. Solid. I, I did want to mention last podcast... The last Cageless episode, I um, mentioned this movie that Ari Aster had had stated was a huge influence for him, called "The Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover," a 1989 crime drama film, if you want to call it that, uh, by Peter Greenaway. It's got Helen Mirren in it. I did finally watch it. It's a hard movie to track down. It may be streaming somewhere. You're the master of that, Sean. Finding out what is streaming where. I can look. But uh, I, I actually got the Mexican Blu-ray for cheap. <laughs> so I was able to watch it. And I, I can see why it's a hard movie to find. There, it's Yeah, Ari Aster loves it. So there's some disturbing stuff in it. But I bring it up because I think Midsommar is... It, it's Ari Aster's... The, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. It's his ode to that movie. Uh, particularly the dining sequences. So if you do ever have the chance to watch it, um, and it's something we may talk about in the future, I don't know if we really want to do an episode on it, but it is, it's a movie not a lot of people today know about, but uh, people from the 80s, they, they do remember, because I did a post about it and people um, were like, oh yeah, I remember that movie when it came out and uh, it was pretty fucked up. You can watch it on Peacock. Oh, Peacock. What's that? NBC's new streaming service. It's free, I guess. Oh, right. Yeah. It just has... Oh, man. I, I don't know. You should watch it sometime. I don't want to tell you anything about it, but the, the important takeaway from the movie is it's, it's about dark, disturbing things, but it's funny. To me, it's a comedy with, with some... <laughs> pretty heavy elements in it so sorry i'll you know i'll spoil midsummer but i won't spoil the the cook the thief his wife and her lover i want to have to force everyone else to hunt this one out in the wild but it's definitely worth a watch and it was super interesting knowing that ari aster was influenced by it so what do you guys think will be the legacy of midsummer how do you think it's going to be remembered do you think it's going to be the be-all end-all pagan folk horror movie no I, I mean, mean there's always going to be something better down the road it's definitely a milestone for sure though mm. this movie's fucking crazy yeah and I, I think actually it, uh, uh, with uh, with all the subtle elements it's kind of like rewatchable as fuck too so yeah that is one great I thing seen it five like times said, it's like it's, it's <laughs> funnier the next time you see it yeah man it is really is. Once you have all the information, it, it, it is kind of funny. I do think that uh, this movie may be a little slower than Hereditary. Uh -huh. uh, I actually watched uh, both Hereditary and Midsommar with uh, the same group of friends, and they liked Hereditary. They were not into this one. Okay, because they thought it was too slow? Yeah, they just thought uh, it was boring. Uh, I see. I mean, yeah. you know, I get it. I do I do think that Hereditary is still a better movie. I'm not sure if you guys would agree. Uh, I personally mm -hmm. like Hereditary more, but I do really like what this movie does with, you know, just from a filmmaking standpoint. I feel like it, it's mm -hmm. just shot and crafted beautifully. Yeah, I agree with you, mainly because I could connect more with the characters in Hereditary, whereas in Midsommar, I feel the location itself was more of a character, which is great for the movie, but the characters, many of them are, are off-putting. And, uh, and it's great for the movie. I'm not saying that that's bad. 
I just didn't connect with them. I was looking forward to them getting killed. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's just this thing with some horror movies that the characters just have this sense of being unlikable. Uh-huh. And it it's something that I've just noticed kind of starting in the early 2000s, and it just kind of makes... I don't want to say it makes the movies cheap. Okay. But the the characters just don't feel as believable to me. Mm. And I kind of get a similar vibe to the characters in this movie. Yeah. But again, that... It's, pro- it's probably intentional because of how this movie changes into the surreal uh, genre, if you will. Um, the characters are intentionally pushed to their max to become kind of like one-dimensional, stereotyped versions of real people mm-hmm. in a way when they enter Midsommar. The uh, wonderful land of Oz. One movie that was probably an influence in some way is Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain, which is a classic um, surreal fantasy movie from 1973 out of Mexico. Um, It was one of those weird movies I used to have on a hard drive. I'd watch every once in a while because I just didn't know what the hell I was watching. (laughs) But some of the visuals from that movie, um, you can see parallels in Midsommar. It's very strange. But I recommend it. Yeah, I I am a fan of that filmmaker. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. See, this is why you got to write things down. Another movie I thought about watching this, Sean... It's kind of an out there comparison, but it's mm-hmm. the it's the horror movie Candyman. You remember Candyman from what, late eighties, early nineties? I've heard of it. I haven't actually seen it. Oh, though. Clive Barker. Yeah, I've seen that shit. Oh, yeah. You know your boy from Hellraiser. Yeah. I'm actually surprised I haven't seen it. Oh man. Well, I'll have to give that a watch. Okay, I'm not going to spoil it then. But when you watch it. Think about Midsommar, especially how it all plays out. But they're actually remaking Candyman. Actually, it's already been remade. I don't know when they're releasing it. I guess I could give it a goog. (laughs) Uh, But I think they've already shot it and everything. But Candyman is a... It's like a, you know, racial, um, social message kind of horror story. And, and going back and re-watching it, I kind of watched it when I was a little too young to get it, and it probably messed me up a little bit. But <laughs> I did watch it this year again and was able to pick up on the, the social part of it, you know, because the Candyman is an African-American legend. Yeah, and it has to do with, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, when the wealthy people move in and kick all the, the low-income people out. Gentrification. G- yeah, gentrification is is in there. It's, it's interesting. It's a really interesting script, and I'm kind of glad that they're bringing it back to life now. And it will be interesting to see what the new one is like. But yeah, if you get time, go watch the original Candyman and let me know if you, if you pick up on any similarities. It is streaming on Sling, Sci-Fi, and Fubo. Is that the uh, Fubo? Is that the Furby streaming service? Uh, yeah, it, it has the entire Furby cinematic universe. Oh, or is it Fubu Jeans? <laughs> That's going back. Oh, that is. And once again, um, in Midsommar, we have cinematography by Paul Podrzelski. Um, So a big thank you for making this film look as amazing as it does. Um, all the producers. We had art direction by uh, Saba Lodi, Hungarian, supervising art director, and the Utah unit, Richard T. Olson. And uh, yeah, just, just thank you to all the cast and crew for Midsommar 
and as well as A24 Productions. Solid, solid movie. And I thank you guys for uh, watching it again and having the conversation in the second episode of Cageless without Nicolas Cage at all. Although he was a bear in Wicker Man. We haven't talked about that. He was. And he, he committed assault. He did. And he was burned alive. Yeah. yeah. That's what you get. So lessons not learned, apparently. That's why we have these groups out there who are trying to remind us, you know, don't mess with nature. Otherwise, we're going to burn your ass. Put you in bears. And the rest of you. Mm. That's why bears don't have gender reveal parties. <laughs> oh, I'm so pumped, guys. I hope you guys are around with me to, because I know it's down the road, but to talk about Nicolas Cage and Wicker Man. I really want to make that oh, memorable. Yeah. Yeah. That one I've actually seen. <sighs> Good. Then you're a changed man, just like us. <laughs> All right. Well, this was our discussion of Midsommar. Thank you for listening, as always. Um, you can check us out at nickcagefight.com. Check out our main series. We are going through every Nicolas Cage film and having them battle. Thank you, guys. I'm out of here. <laughs>